yesterday, my wife and I uh, babysat our granddaughter for uh, most of the afternoon. Our, 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 my son was at uh, was at work, and, and daughter-in-law had uh, some errands to run, had some things uh, that, that she needed to, to get uh, get done. So we volunteered to uh, babysit uh, granddaughter. Now she's almost three years old. And uh, I, so so we uh, had a really good time. But I, no lie, when I got home, this was from about one o'clock in the afternoon until, I don't know, about five. You know, so just a, a few hours uh, watching little three-year-old. And I swear to God, when I got home, the first thing I wanted to do was just lay down and take a nap. I went to bed at like eight o'clock yesterday. <laughs> I, was, I was so exhausted <laughs> babysitting our granddaughter for three hours that I uh, I had to turn in really early <laughs> yesterday. I was just exhausted. So <laughs> dragging a little bit here this morning. It was well worth it, but... Uh, <clears throat> I forgot how much work uh, watching over a three-year-old could be. Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, it will literally blow your mind. Everything you ever wanted to know about the history of the human brain. Also coming up this morning in our community and business spotlight, the United Way of Hancock County wants to connect you with opportunities to make our community an even better place. In our ongoing Keeping the Faith series, how much do Christians know and understand about the world's other major religions and the common threads that run through them? And sustainability is the buzzword connected to everything from the food we eat to the cars we buy these days, how it even applies to beauty and fashion as Earth Day approaches. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, April 14th, 2021. Today is ex-spouse day, by the way. Ex-spouse day. I won't make any suggestions on how you uh, observe this particular holiday, but that's what it says. It is also today the International Day of Pink, uh, which a fascinating story behind the International Day of Pink. David Shepard and Travis Price who were both seniors at Central Kings Rural High School in Nova Scotia, Canada, started the International Day of Pink after they saw a freshman student at their school being bullied and threatened for wearing a pink shirt. And, um, you know, some idiots were were bullying and threatened him to beat him up, all because he wore a pink shirt. So uh, these two got a great idea. They bought... They used their own money, bought 50 pink shirts at a discount store, and sent emails to their male friends asking them to wear the pink shirts to school. Their line of thought was that 50 people couldn't be bullied all at once. And then the idea caught on, uh, the word got out, and everybody at the school basically showed up wearing pink uh, the next day. And... uh, and it just the media got a hold of it, and it became a uh, viral uh, internet sensation thing. And now today is the International Day of Pink. I don't know how many years ago this was that it all started, but what a great backstory for that! An International Day of Pink. So wear pink today. It's International Moment of Laughter Day. Look up at the sky day. 
National Bookmobile Day, National School Librarians Day, National Dolphin Day, National Pecan Day, and one of my favorites, it is Reach As High As You Can Day. Uh, what is it that uh, Casey Kasem always said? Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Reach as high as you can day today. So there you go. Observances worth celebrating. Did you see the uh, story in the news? Uh, you remember a year ago, everybody was hoarding toilet paper. And we were joking about the fact that people were stocking up. And they, they had like a year's worth of toilet paper. Uh, and... It was in short supply, but in a year, we were saying a year from now or several months from now, uh, that the stores will be, shelves will be stocked full of toilet paper because nobody will need to buy it. Well, guess what? Toilet paper, sales of toilet paper uh, are now like 20% lower than they were even pre-pandemic. So it has come to pass. That is exactly what has happened. Toilet paper uh, is now... There's there's no there's a glut of supply. There is no demand at all for toilet paper. I saw that story on the uh, on the newswire, and uh, however, the flip side of that here is the latest uh, story about supply shortages, and this is uh, partially because of the pandemic, but supply shortages, and this is big news. Supply shortages could affect your summer barbecue plans. According to new reports, pork products could be in short supply, made worse as restaurants reopen and people start having more social gatherings. Unfortunately, there's reportedly been a shortage of hogs for over a year now. The problems stem from the pandemic, which saw several processing plants and farms shut down due to outbreaks, and those that remained open still had to deal with staffing issues also related to the pandemic. And so now pork products are in short supply, affecting your barbecue plans. Food and agricultural economist Isaac Olvera says the supply chain is already being stressed and the problems are not likely to be fixed by the summer months. A shortage on these products could also mean that traditional deals and sales on pork products may be scarce this summer. So, because it's kind of like... It's kind of like turkeys at Thanksgiving. When 4th of July rolls around, um, all of the meats that you throw on the grill are, are discounted. Maybe not this year. So, But we have toilet paper. That's We'll have plenty of that. Speaking of food and food shortages, uh, it appears that uh, global warming could be coming for your French fries. The Russet Burbank, a potato variety grown in North America, which is widely used to make French fries, and is believed to be the type of potato that McDonald's uses, incidentally. Uh, farmers in the potato-growing state of Idaho rely on water from melting snow in the mountains to irrigate, irrigate their crops, and climate change is leading to less snow, which melts more quickly, affecting the growth cycle of the potatoes hot dry weather can also influence the way the potato grows and ultimately how it tastes some researchers have already started working on creating hybrid potato varieties which are more resistant to climate change so man oh man 
of these food stories in the news. Not good news either. Among the first things you need to know this morning. A couple of other uh, interesting items off of the uh, newswire that I. West Virginia is now the latest state to offer people money to come live there. Now, this has become a big thing. And uh, places around the country that have seen declining populations for one reason or another, maybe they're in the Rust Belt and, you know, jobs have gone away or, you know, whatever. For whatever reason, there are a lot of places that have seen population declines over the past several decades. And now, because we have this technology that allows people to work remotely and people apparently like doing this, they can work from anywhere. You don't have to live within close proximity to your job anymore. And so these places with declining populations are seeing the opportunity to draw people in. And in many cases, they are paying people to do so. West Virginia, the latest state to offer cash to remote workers to relocate. You can you can net up to $12,000 to live in wild, wonderful West Virginia. The Ascend West Virginia program that was launched this week also, in addition to cash, offering transplants a year's worth of free outdoor activities, including things like whitewater rafting and skiing, free access to co-working spaces. The program is beginning with 50 spots in Morgantown, which is home to West Virginia University, and they plan to expand the program to more cities and towns across the state. Shepherdstown and Lewisburg reportedly will be next. I'll have to look those places up and see if it's worth moving there. I know Governor Jim Justice said the program is made possible by a $25 million gift from Brad Smith, chairman of Intuit, the Intuit, you know, Intuit does TurboTax and it's a twenty-five million dollar gift from Intuit chairman Brad Smith and his wife. It should be noted, however, that people who relocate will not get the money all at once. Ten thousand of it will be paid in monthly installments in the first year, and the other two thousand you'll get in, in the second year. So you have to stick around for a while. So if you were thinking, no, I'll move to West Virginia for six months for twelve grand, that's not bad. Too. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. You have to you have to go and stay for a while. So, but interesting. That's that's a pretty big bounty, and it'll be interesting to see if other places match that or even exceed it. But and lastly, this morning, among the first things that you need to know to start your Wednesday morning, this is big news especially as warmer weather is coming and there are still concerns about spread of the coronavirus and all of that. Swimming in a pool might not be a bad idea. Researchers from Imperial College London found that chlorinated swimming pool water can inactivate the virus that causes COVID-19 in just 30 seconds. The findings, they say, suggest that the risk of COVID transmission via swimming pool water 
is incredibly low, according to the scientists. So the way I read that, you can you can spend your entire summer just in the swimming pool, and you will be safe from COVID-19. Spend the entire summer in the swimming pool, and you are safe from COVID-19. That may be the best news we hear all day. There you go. That is... <laughs> That sounds like a good idea, good plan to me. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to start off your Wednesday morning. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for mostly sunny skies today and a high of 60, partly cloudy tonight with a low 37. The Hancock County Board of Commissioners announced that they have negotiated a purchase price for a big chunk of the Finley Mall property. This all stems from our continuing work to find the best possible space for the probate juvenile court. As you heard Commissioner Tim Bechtel say, they plan to move the county probate and juvenile court there. The piece they plan to purchase is the center section of the mall, essentially going from where J.C. Penney was to the former Elder Bierman and everything between out to Tiffin Avenue. Get more on our website. The governor is advising vaccine providers in the state to pause using the Johnson & Johnson one-dose COVID vaccine. Governor Mike DeWine tweeted, quote, We are advising all Ohio vaccine providers to temporarily pause using the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, unquote. His tweet included a statement explaining that the move is in response to a statement by the FDA and CDC recommending a pause following extremely rare blood clotting events of six people in the U.S. after receiving the vaccine. Dave James, I went in news. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine was the one being administered to University of Findlay students at a series of recent clinics. UF says a clinic scheduled for today has been canceled, and once permission is given to resume vaccinations, new times will be scheduled. Findlay High School will be celebrating the class of 2021 with an in-person graduation and commencement ceremony at Donnell Stadium. We are hoping for a beautiful day on Saturday, May 29th at 10 a.m. and looking forward to a tremendous opportunity to celebrate the class of 2021. Principal Ryan Imke says students will be able to bring a limited number of guests to attend the graduation. Get more on our website. The West Ohio Food Bank will be holding a food distribution event in Faustoria tomorrow. The drive through distribution event will be held at Faustoria Elementary School from 11 to 1. People are being asked to make sure there is trunk space available to load food into. The food distribution event is being sponsored by the West Ohio Food Bank and Faustoria United Way. Get more details on our website. More news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm John Marshall with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, you know, there are books that tackle deep, weighty subjects, and then there are books that tackle really deep subjects, like this one. Uh, Brett Stetka is a physician and freelance health and science journalist for a variety of publications. He serves as editorial director at Medscape.com, which is the professional division of WebMD, and he is the author of, are you ready for this, A History of the Human Brain. And uh, Brett, when I saw the title of this one, I, I said, wow, I'm not sure we could possibly block off enough time for everything there is to talk about <laughs> on this one. But thank you very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. 
Of course, Chris. I thought the same thing when I agreed to write this in 250 pages. So <laughs> we're on the uh, same page there. <laughs> well, that's that's what I was going to say. I mean, I, I'm guessing when you sit down to write something like this, you really have to dramatically self-edit because otherwise it could easily have ended up like 2,000 pages long. For sure. And so when I, I was asked if I had any ideas for a book when I was approached about writing one, and um, I, I didn't. I had absolutely no idea. I had never thought about writing a book, but... I had just read a book about the heart and how we came to understand how the heart works, and I, it just got me thinking: Has anyone ever written a a, a book for you know the the general public, uh, not an academic book about where the brain came from and how it evolved, and yeah. you know even in a Darwinian evolutionary sense? And so I I pitched that, and my publishers, Timber Press and Workman Press, were kind enough to buy it. So it was kind of a fun challenge so, to fit that into a relatively short book. So talk about your approach to this subject then. I mean, how do you uh, approach making this accessible to, you know, non-scientists, non-physicians? I mean, I've worked, even, I, I'm an MD, but I, I didn't practice medicine after med school. I went into research and ended up publishing a fair amount, and then somehow turned that in, into a career as uh, a health and science journalist. So, you know, hopefully I've gotten better over the last 15 years as, uh, you know, in terms of conveying complicated scientific information uh, in a more accessible way. And that was my goal was to, to really look at how evolution works and how our brain evolves specifically, but tell it in a way that hopefully is fun at times and not overly scientific and not super dry and boring and, um, so that was, you know, that was my personal challenge was how do I do this in a fun way? And, you know, a lot of the time that meant hanging out with chimpanzees and, and monkeys, which, you know, they just do crazy things. So that's a, that's a, a fun way to tell the, tell the tale since they're our closest cousins. Well, you know, that is uh, actually leads to one of the questions that I wanted to, to ask is why is it that the human brain has evolved over the centuries the way it has so much more than all the other animals on the planet? Sure. So we we split with our we we you know we share a common ancestor with other apes, uh, especially chimpanzees and bonobos. We our lineage is split about seven million years ago. So if you look at our lineage for the past seven million years, we you know we all descend from a, a population of of early humans in Africa, and you know through climate changes, you know you know at first we lived in the forest like other apes do, and then we were out in the African plains. And we weren't the strongest. We weren't the fastest. We had, you know, no chance against a lion or a saber-toothed cat uh, out there. So natural selection in our specific lineage really focused on um, cognition and, and meant, you know, intelligence mm. and just mental abilities. If we were going to survive, it wasn't going to be because we could, you know, wrestle a lion. It was going to be because we could track them and get away from them. Uh, so it was our intelligence that was selected for and. And for us, that's what worked. It doesn't, you know, that's not a necessity for survival. There's millions of species out there that have survived for, for other reasons. But that was, uh, that was the key to ours and our, our endurance and why we're still here today. So what is the singular thing that most people don't know about the history of the human brain? Well, for one, the, you know, the, the human brain is, in an evolutionary sense, can really be traced back 700 million years to the sea sponge, which is why I have sea sponge in the subtitle of the book. Mm -hmm. um, 
sponge, you know, literally the sponge that you can still buy at Target, uh, you know, to wash yourself is, is the origin of cells communicating with each other. Um, and, and they do that. They still do that in the same way that, uh, much in the same way that our brain cells or neurons communicate with each other. They use electrical currents. They use some of the same neurotransmitters or chemicals that allow cells to communicate. So that was a, that was a huge one. And then another revelation was just how, you know, in, in concert with our intelligence was how adaptable we were over the last few million years. Uh, you know, with that climate change I mentioned, and mm-hmm. when things dry out, we can eat just about anything. Like we eat, we're, we're omnivorous. We're more omnivorous than many, if not most species. We can subsist on meat, on fish, on plants, on fruits. Um, and that really saved us. That's why so many of the other human species or closely related species died out. And we didn't because we can, we're smart and we can we can dig up roots and we can eat fruit we can we can we can eat it all to survive why should we care about all of this i mean other than the fact that it is just interesting is there some larger message here i mean i understand why scientists and doctors would need to understand all of this but is there something in here that uh, you say if everybody if everyday people could understand, then it would benefit all of humanity. Or is that just thinking too deeply here? No, completely. That's a great point. I, I mean, one of my messages, which um, you know, I, I'm, it's not explicit in the book, is that uh, you know the 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 things that really preserve our brain today and our cognition and prevent dementia and prevent Alzheimer's disease are. Many of them reflect exactly how our brains got here. So it's, you know, if if you look at, you know, the only really proven strategies to prevent dementia and Alzheimer's are are being social, um, socializing, activating your brain in a a social context. Primates are very social. We are a primate, just like apes and and monkeys. Um, Being just challenging our brains, uh, you know, crosswords and brain puzzles are kind of the cliche and, and that's, that's great if you haven't done those before, but mm-hmm. if you're good at them and you've been doing them for years, you got to do something else. They're not going to work anymore, but just, just doing something new, uh, you know, taking up a new hobby, um, reading on, on something new. Um, and that really reflects in an evolutionary sense, how creativity was really selected for and really helped us along millions of years ago. Um, and then the omnivorism, the diet that I mentioned, you know, the Mediterranean diet is a big one, the Japanese diet or the Scandinavian diet. So, you know, the, the ingredients we were eating millions of years ago and, and being omnivorous, having a balanced diet, you know, that's incredibly important to preserve brain health. So I think that's the overall message is like, if you look back at our history, you know, do, do what we did two million years ago, and that is you know, literally preserving our brains today. It, it makes sense. It has served us pretty well uh, to this point, so it, it only makes sure, sense. Sure. Uh, <laughs> well, we took over the planet, so we're doing <laughs> we, uh, for we better are doing, or for worse. For yeah. better or for worse, right, exactly. Uh, well, I, I tell you, without, uh, pardon the pun, but uh, again, there's a lot of really mind-blowing stuff uh, in here. It is uh, <laughs> A History of the Human Brain. Uh, Brett Stetka is the uh, author, and do you have a website in conjunction with a book we can guide folks? too um sure i i have uh, my publisher's website is workman.com or timber.com but if you google my name brett setka or just a history of the human brain you'll get both of those and the amazon link and and sure you and you can buy it through your local bookstore at bookshop.org and 
wherever you wherever you can find books hopefully it's available all of that and uh, we will link it up on our webpage as well so you don't even have to think about it it's uh, it's right there again I, i'm just full of all of the bad puns today uh brett setka thanks very much for taking the time best of luck with the book thanks so much thanks for having me on now, the Good Mornings Community and Business Spotlight. Speaking this morning with Angela Dabosky, CEO of the United Way of Hancock County, about capacity through volunteerism. That is an interesting term there. Explain what that means. Well, we know that a lot of folks in the community are used to seeing United Way campaigns come through in the fall. Sure. And that is one of the ways that we provide resources to our nonprofits. Obviously. Volunteerism is another way. So we have three programs that we're excited over the next three weeks that we're going to be deploying that will be accumulatively offering more than 2,000 volunteer hours into our community, which is in capacity, it's about $50,000 worth of resources that are going back to our nonprofits and organizations. Which, and we've talked about volunteerism uh, in the past in the sense that this is in many ways just as good as money because for these nonprofits, it's money that they don't have to spend and that they can instead funnel toward their mission. Right, but you know what? It's also a way that folks are, are using to get back to normal. Yeah. How can I give? How can I get involved in my community sure. in a safe way? And United Way is kind of providing those opportunities. So you mentioned three opportunities or three different programs. Uh, explain what they are. The first one is that we have a river cleanup day. Um, youth from Finley High School National Honor Society are coming out. There's about, about 89 students that are going to be participating in a river cleanup day. So um, a lot of capacity there. How do we engage that next generation of leaders in our community? And how do we do it so that volunteerism becomes a part of their life? Okay. The second one then is our Days of Caring event. So it, it had had to be modified in 2020, but this year we already have 450 people that are going to be each giving four hours from their businesses and, and local businesses are highly engaged in this. And so it really does create this, this opportunity, whether the projects are outside projects or whether they're painting indoors, there's a wide gamut of things, but how do we get out? How do we build community amongst service opportunities mm -hmm. and then help somebody else. And then the third program is? The third program is a little bit more of an individual program. Okay. So United Way got a skills-based volunteerism grant in 2020. So how do we build capacity and give opportunity for people to get involved in committee or board service? And so that's what that one is. We're going to be kind of like the match.com within the community okay. of I've got a skill, but I don't know how to use it or how to best serve the community. And then we'll find um, agencies and organizations in town that says, I have a need. And we'll be able to match them up. But at the same time, there will be like a, a training and education component to it. What does it mean to be a board member in our community? How can I use my ideas to influence the future of where we're going? So yeah. if folks want to get involved, they can come to uwhancock.org or they can call into our office. I was going to ask, uh, obviously you're looking at recruiting for all of those programs now? Uh, absolutely. So um, the beauty of it is whatever your skill set, mm -hmm. you, can, you can find a place to use it and to serve. 
The it's particularly interesting that third one you mentioned. Uh, I don't think that there is a nonprofit organization out there that hasn't at some time or another had seats on their board or, or that they have they have struggled to fill and find people uh, to fill because you do want uh, fresh uh, fresh perspectives, fresh blood, as it were, uh, you know, to come in and inject some uh, new vision uh, in the uh, so many. Uh, people who sit on those boards god bless them are the same people all the time and it's always good to have more people to get involved in that way right and we're just asking say let us use our sphere of influence to make a warm introduction to be able to explore is it a right fit for you yeah and and similarly i'm sure there are a lot of people who would be willing to and aren't sure exactly where to start right so so start with us united way can help kind of the match.com of all of that so again uh, these are uh, programs that are well, in the case of the, the, the third one, is that an ongoing thing or is that... It is an ongoing thing. So we, we the... know that a lot of boards and committees have a turnover during the summer mm-hmm. um, or in the beginning of the year. Okay. So come explore. So I, this is good time for that. How, how do we make it some come-see opportunities that is low risk, high reward yeah. for our for volunteers? Because the other two are, are basically specific dates uh, that are coming up uh, as well. Exactly. So, and and the, second, the third will be an ongoing. Yeah. Uh, so if folks want to learn more about uh, those opportunities, those uh, capacity through volunteerism uh, opportunities. Uh, again, how do they go about doing that? You can call into our office or you can go to uwhancock.org. All right. Angela Dabosky, uh, CEO of the United Way of Hancock County with us this morning. Angela, thanks very much. Thank you. The Community and Business Spotlight is a promotional advertisement paid for by the featured sponsor. Time now for our ongoing Keeping the Faith series. And how much do you know and understand about the world's other major religions? A new book entitled The Unknown God takes readers on a spiritual journey through six major world religions, unraveling the hidden revelations of Jesus Christ embedded within their sacred scriptures. Yes, there is a common thread that runs through all of the, virtually all of the major religions of the world, not just Christianity. Correspondent John Clemens reports this morning, Keeping the Faith. Dr. Matthew John gives readers an accessible explanation of all the world's major religions that show us how each one offers a glimpse, shadow, or preview of Christ. The book came out as an eventual result of a series of seminars I used to do in churches and university campuses about how do we affirm Jesus as the only way to God in this postmodern, post-Christian, so-called post-everything society. Can we affirm that Jesus is the only way while also paying due respect to people of other religions? I was offering a series of seminars on different religions from a Christian perspective. John takes the time of the book right from the scriptures in Acts 17. The title of the book comes from Acts chapter 17 where Paul goes to Athens where he discovers this strange Christ figure, a redemptive figure called the unknown God in their own culture and their own religion which somehow point to the Jesus of the Bible. The years of research by Dr. John revealed the hidden symbols of Christ found in other non-Christian religions. So I discovered in all other non-Christian religions, there are some hidden 
revelations or some kind of uh, symbols that point to the Jesus of the Bible in Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Judaism, and Islam. Uh, and as Christians, we can use this as a missiological bridge to connect with people of other faiths. The Unknown God is a book about other religions that offer only a glimpse of what the Bible teaches us about revealing Christ. There is this idea of general revelation in the Bible that God reveals himself to people of different religions and different cultures, but at the same time, these are partial revelations. God reveals himself fully in the person of Jesus Christ, which is only revealed in the Bible. That is the essential foundational theology of the Bible. So we are using this idea of general revelation in other religions or in other cultures to point to the fuller revelation of Jesus. Dr. John was born in India, but has lived the world over. I am actually originally born in India, then I lived in the Middle East, and eventually I live in America right now. So in this journey from the East to the West, which happened to be the subtitle of the book, Unknown God, people of all religions have a very respectful, if not reverential, understanding of Jesus. I have never come across anybody who thinks Jesus was a mean person or something like that. All religious people have a respectful and deep reverential understanding of Jesus. Dr. John writes in his book about the roots back to where he was born. I was born in a small town in India called Piravam, and it comes from the root word Piravi, which means the birth. And they are talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. So according to part history and part legend, people of our town believe that one of the wise men of the East who came to see Jesus at his birth was from our town. And if you come to our town, there are these two big cathedrals named uh, after the Magi. Dr. John says the wise men offer proof that other religions all point to the birth of Christ. The wise men who came to see Jesus was uh, not Jews. Uh, they were not Christians. So obviously there is some kind of hidden revelation. Somehow they got the news about the arrival of Christ, even though they are outside the traditional Judeo-Christian borders, which is kind of fascinating, which is also the proof of hidden revelations of Jesus outside our known territories or, or borders of our understanding. Yeah. Dr. John also offers proof that all the other religions offer a glimpse to its followers. The unknown God is nothing but a symbol or a, called a Christ figure revealed in other religions. It is not the Christ of the Bible. The Christ of the Bible is the self-disclosure of God. But these are symbols you can see in this culture, which the unknown God is the Jesus they know, which is not the real Jesus. The real Jesus is revealed only in Christianity. But there is this partial glimpses of revelation in this other religion. It is only a symbol, not the Christ of the Bible. Philip Yancey wrote the foreword for Dr. John's book that was developed from a series of seminars that were conducted from lectures from all around the nation. The Mosaic Course is essentially a series of seminars I developed on six major living religions in the world. It, it looks at six major world religions from a Christian perspective. So this was uh, conceived as a live seminar, then we put it as an online course. So it is available for free for anybody 24-7 through our website. It is www.themosaiccourse.org. This is John Clemens reporting. Really is an interesting premise. As the website says, the tagline on the website for the book, The Unknown God, A Journey with Jesus from East to West, and the 
uh, companion study material, the Mosaic course, Jesus is the only way to God. As he says in the Bible, no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the only way to God, but what if there is more than one way to Jesus? Fascinating premise, and you can learn more at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Keeping the faith this morning. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Speed limits are there for your own protection. Something to keep in mind when you hear this story. The California Highway Patrol, uh, Oakland, California office, shared photos earlier this week showing the aftermath of a vehicle pursuit after a speeding driver in a Maserati refused to stop for an officer attempting to pull him over. The 32-year-old male driver, whose name is not given, uh, was uh, traveling on uh, Interstate 580 westbound, accelerated to over 100 miles an hour, and a pursuit ensued. The driver uh, allegedly exited the freeway, drove up an embankment, and collided with the underside of said freeway. So you, you've seen the, the, the kind of, it's tough to explain on the radio that's actually seeing the pictures. I've seen the pictures. It was like, you know, an, uh, an overpass, and you have the embankments that come up to the underside of the uh, overpasses. And that's what he drove up that embankment and wedged his car under the freeway. Uh, it, you wouldn't even imagine that this would be possible to drive a car, much less a Maserati, into this location, but slammed and wedged his car into the underside of the freeway. The uh, driver taken to a local hospital on a complaint of pain. <laughs> Apparently, he's going to be okay, but he will be facing charges for reckless evading of an officer. Police note, it is amazing that he survived, and uh, an investigation is underway, but... It is wild. Look this up. Now, the California Highway Patrol Oakland office in this Maserati chase. Look this up, and you will not you believe the uh, pictures of this. Wild. Speed kills, they say. In this case, it didn't, but it could have. Police in Pennsylvania say a man from Allegheny County facing felony burglary charges after he entered the home of a stranger uh, while inebriated, ransacked her house, and then passed out in her easy chair. <laughs> Police say 21-year-old Jackson Hoey told them he did not own, he did not know the homeowner, and he had no idea how he got there once he regained consciousness. <laughs> he had no idea how he got there. He said he was out drinking with some friends, and <laughs> next thing you knew, he was trashing a place of a woman he did not know. He is uh, facing a charge of criminal trespassing. Oh, my. You have those uh, stories uh, every now and then. Not only did he ransack, it just then went to sleep in the easy chair. How would you like this job? A San Diego Zoo employee recovering after being bitten by an African bush viper. One of the most venomous snakes in the world. He was bitten. Its venom can cause fever, hemorrhaging, and sometimes death in humans. And here's the thing. There is no known antivenom for this particular snake. Other antivenoms for similar reptiles can be used for treatment, but there's no direct antivenom for this. 
The wildlife care specialist was taken to a hospital for evaluation and medical care. I would hope so. But I, I saw this story and I thought, now, that has got to that may not be the part that they tell you about in the recruitment process. <laughs> how, do you, how do you hire people for, the, for this job? How, uh, I mean, I understand uh, working with animals in a, in a zoo sounds like it would be a cool thing, but honestly, I don't think I could be that desperate that I would... <laughs> Need a job working with the snakes. <clears throat> also in the broken news from the international file this morning, police in speaking of animals, police in England have found themselves with an unusual case on their hands. The world's largest rabbit has disappeared from his home. Happened over the weekend. Darius, a continental giant rabbit who holds the Guinness World Record for being the biggest rabbit in the world at four feet three inches long. That's a big rabbit. Vanished from his enclosure, and police have issued an urgent appeal for the return of the prize-winning rabbit. It is uh, believed that the big bunny was stolen from its enclosure in the garden of the property of its owners overnight on Saturday. Uh, Annette Edwards, the owner of Darius the Rabbit, issued a plea on social media offering a sizable reward for anyone who can help return her pet. Darius has held the record for being the largest rabbit in the world for over 11 years. He remains missing and anyone with any information on his whereabouts is asked to contact local police. How would you hide something like that? I mean, four fo- this is a four-foot rabbit. What would you do with that? I mean, you know, you can't sell it, you can't show it off to your friends. It would be immediately recognizable as the world's largest rabbit. I mean... You can't. Oh no, that's not. That's not the missing rabbit. This is a totally different four-foot rabbit. That's. I mean. Anyway, weird. And finally, the <laughs> broken news this morning: a woman in India is trying to press charges against Britain's Prince Harry. Uh, the woman, by the name of uh, Palwinder Carr, claimed in a court petition that she had been contacted on social media by the prince. And that after corresponding for a while, he told her that he wanted to marry her. (laughs) She also requested that authorities issue an international arrest warrant so that police from the UK could apprehend Harry and he could be forced to carry out his promise of marriage without further delay. (laughs) She uh, also revealed that she had written a letter to uh, Prince Harry's father, Prince Charles, and informed him that Harry was engaged to her and not honoring his promise to marry her. The court rejected the application, surprise, surprise, saying it was not proven that the woman had been speaking to the real Prince Harry online, and uh, the court warned the woman of the dangers of catfishing. (laughs) I don't know, seems legit to me. (laughs) There you go, that is uh, today's... She wants an arrest warrant issued, by golly, go pick him up. He said he was going to marry me. By golly, he's going to marry me. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report. Uh, This uh, update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, 
Stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. And now your daily download this morning. The numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. A new survey of 2,000 adults finds that almost half of those adults who have young children or pets in the home have put off buying something nice for their house over fears that those nice things will be ruined by food, drink, or animal dribble. (laughs) This is why we can't have nice things. It's true. Now, this survey was conducted in the in the United Kingdom, but I would imagine that this holds true pretty much everywhere around the world. Parents and pet owners were surveyed, and two-thirds, 67%, currently have a sofa which has been stained by a child or an animal. The most common stains caused by food, with 28% having marks on their sofa from eating. Although, to be fair, that's not always the kids. <laughs> I mean, I've been known to make a mess uh, myself. So I, in the interest of full disclosure, uh, second most common stains, pen marks, 21% and non-alcoholic drinks, you know, juice stains and Kool-Aid stains, 16%, uh, greasy hands, uh, stains from greasy hands, 14% and 13% admit that there are wine stains on their couch. But, you know, we can blame the pets because, you know, you're having you're having wine, you're relaxing, the pet jumps up, makes you spill your wine. It's all the pet's fault. Uh, many pets uh, are, in fact, the uh, bad books as well. More than one in ten respondents in this poll, 11%, admit that their sofa uh, has a stain due to... Uh, Animal dribble is what it says here. But this is why we can't have nice things. I thought that was interesting. Um, Half of adults with children or pets putting off buying nice things for their house over fears they will be ruined. And I have to admit, I have certainly done that. So Earth Day is coming up. Sustainability is the buzzword that is connected to everything these days from the food we eat to the cars we drive and to things like beauty and fashion as well. Now, this may not be something that immediately comes to mind uh, when we think sustainability, but celebrity stylist Tara Swenton is here to talk about some of the top looks that she has created with sustainable style products. And Tara, first of all, talk a little bit about what it means to be sustainable in fashion and why you feel this is important. Well, it's very important since, unfortunately, the fashion industry um, has been one of the worst contributors. Um, the goal with sustainable fashion is to create inspirational fashion without sacrificing or exploiting the environment and its workers, therefore fostering change towards greater ecological integrity as well as social justice. So in order to ensure a bright future for us all, um, it's important to, you know, make sure that we try and shop sustainably as well. 
So obviously the idea is pretty much the same as all of these other sustainable products that we talk about that immediately come to mind when we think of sustainability and and so on. So talk a little bit about your, uh, you know, these top looks that you have created uh, using sustainable style and, and how you approach that, what that means to you. Sure. For me, obviously, um, I became a vegan about six years ago. And so when that happened, um, I sort of started realizing that, um, you know, my values weren't quite in line with my career. Um, and so obviously, being a celebrity wardrobe stylist, I realized that I could use every red carpet um, as a uh, platform for social justice. Um, and so I decided to partner with brands that are really committed to green initiatives. And that's how I came to Nordstrom today. Um, they have been a wonderful partner and have let me curate a sustainable style trunk club, which will release on uh, April 19th, of course, in tandem with Earth Day for Earth Month. And the really cool thing about this is it uses their sustainable style hub in which every single product has to qualify in at least one of three ways, being that it is either responsibly uh, manufactured or packaged, it is made with sustainably sourced or responsibly sourced materials, or has a give back component with every purchase. So I have curated over a dozen looks for both men and women that um, really span the course of any activity, any day, whether that's going to yoga, going out to dinner with friends, and every single piece um, ensures that somehow you are aligning your shopping with your values. So um, I would definitely urge everybody to check it out. They can be found on Nordstrom.com backslash look or Nordstrom.com backslash sustainable style. And if you click on the icon above each um, piece, uh, it will actually tell you everything that the brand is doing uh, in, you know, in its force for good, if you will. Yeah, I, you actually kind of got ahead because that was going to be my next question is, you know, what is the response uh, to the brands when you decide that this is what you want to do? Because as you said, this is an industry that historically doesn't have the greatest track record when it comes to sustainability. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, what they're realizing is that, you know, people really want to sort of use their individual actions to contribute to a force of good. And so essentially people are demanding transparency. Uh, people are really um, hoping and expecting that brands really commit to green initiatives and, of course, um, you know, labor rights and issues as well. So, um, you know, I think because people are demanding it, it is ushering in a new era of sustainability and consciousness, um, which I'm just so proud to be a part of. Um, and that comes from everybody, from influencers to celebrities, um, to everyone just shopping for themselves and their families. Uh, now, obviously, uh, one way that we encourage people to, you know, think sustainability when, uh, with respect to fashion and, and so on, uh, you mentioned your uh, fashions that are available uh, on the website there, and we'll link that up on our webpage. If folks want to check that out, we encourage people to to shop smarter. But on top of that, are there ways that we can incorporate uh, some of this into our existing wardrobes, or you know, our own wardrobes beyond? Does it? I guess what I'm asking is, does it mean that we have to throw out uh, our entire wardrobe and start over? No, that's in fact the opposite of what I was just doing. The idea is to reduce waste, right? So 
actually holding on to your clothes for as long as possible um, is the best way to encourage a circular economy. Uh, really, you know, the best thing to do is to start by shopping sustainably, but then also for longevity. We need to sort of celebrate, um, mm. you know, the re-wearing of clothes and the reusage of clothes. So you want to take very good care with them. Um, you know, the first thing that I tell people is launder your items less. Make sure that you store them in a safe, cool, dry environment. Avoid too much sunlight. You know, fold your sweaters. Uh, make sure you use lavender or bay leaves or cedar uh, to obviously make sure that you don't get those unwanted moths in the summertime. And then challenge yourself to only wash them every two to three wears. Obviously, if it's visibly dirty or if it smells, throw it in the laundry. Um, but obviously, if you can cut down on the use of harsh chemicals for the environment, um, you know, it will lower your electricity costs as well as your energy usage. Um, you know, those types of things will actually help uh, maintain your clothes. And then, of course, once you are done with them, try and think about how you can consciously either repurpose them or get rid of them. So that includes donating them. That includes you know, possibly doing uh, a clothing swap party, let's say with your friends, um, you can sort of bring it to your tailor and have them do a, a nice little glow up so that you can continue wearing it for a couple more years. Or, you know, at the end of the day, cut it up and use it as wash rags. But the idea is to um, waste as little as possible and keep as much as possible. So however you can do that, get creative. That's the goal. Uh, just uh, again, thinking about uh, sustainability in sort of a holistic uh, way, and I, I wanted to highlight this because, like I said, it is not something that we maybe immediately think of uh, when we think about all of the other ways uh, that we discuss sustainability these days, but it is certainly, as we said, the buzzword uh, especially with Earth Day coming up, this is you know the time to start thinking about that. And again, uh, Tara Swenen, celebrity stylist. Uh, mention again where folks can find uh, those looks that you have created with those sustainable style products. Sure. You can check out my trunk club uh, on April 19th at Nordstrom Trunk Club, or you can simply go to Nordstrom.com backslash sustainable style and check out all of these fun looks and all of these fun pieces um, that are really, you know, contributing to sustainability. I love it. We'll uh, link it up on our webpage, as we mentioned. Tara, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Amazing. Appreciate it. And that will put a wraps on our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, more information about all of the topics you hear about on the show at our webpage. Check it out, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, big news this week from the Hancock County Commissioners unveiling a plan to buy up most of the Findlay Village Mall. Commissioner Tim Bechtel, who is also an architect by trade, will explain what they see in terms of potential for that property. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.